What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Left Hand Backhand Podcast. It is your boy, Michael, joined as always with Lincoln. And today we have a special guest, the man, the myth, the TD, Kyle Harrigan out of Colorado. How's it going? Uh, it's going fantastic, guys. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really looking forward to chat with you this evening. Yeah, thank I you did for... want to specify when you said TD, that is short for tournament director and nothing, uh, no... <laughs> medical yeah. medical connotation there or yes yes he is the the tournament director extraordinaire mr mr kyle harrigan yeah so really um, happy to have you well, on this um, should be a sw- oh my bad I keep you're cutting good. You off. I'm sorry. it's fine yeah uh really excited to have you on we got a bunch of questions um to ask you about running tournaments and just kind of your history in disc golf where you um got into it and also kind of what you see in Colorado for the future as well. So um, just really excited to awesome. hear. I know you have a, a long history in the Colorado disc golf community um, and it's ever growing and ever expanding. And it's just fun to see and actually get to talk to the guy who's kind of running the behind the scenes of all the tournaments that go on. Yeah. And uh, we'll go through your bag a little bit. We'll throw some, Hard-hitting questions at you, such as uh, what your favorite course in Denver is, you know, that type of hard-hitting questions. <laughs> uh, and then instead of going through our normal news and notes, we'll kind of just talk about Mr. Kyle here. Uh, as a preface, before we jump into who you are, Kyle, and let you take the floor, um, I met you a year ago. Probably at Colorado States, I think. Yeah, almost a year in about a month or so. Yeah, I actually we're in we're in August. That's kind of trippy, um, <laughs> Michael. We've been going eight months strong. So props to us for yeah continuing <laughs> eight months strong. I think we missed like two or three weeks is all. So yeah, yeah, we have a few episodes, so it's been good. It's pretty good, pretty good. Yeah, um, but yeah, I met Kyle at. Colorado States last year. I think I'd seen you before at another tournament, but like actually met you at States when I pulled out my precious inner core right here. And uh, I couldn't tell if you were excited, unhappy, <laughs> or uh, I, I, you know, a mix of emotions that I was the first one to play with an inner core in a tournament. Um, but I, I pulled it out and I showed it to you and you're like, what? How do you already have that? Yeah. I was slightly shocked just because (laughs) I had recently started talking with Jesse about the inner core and I had met him at a course to throw it in uh, comparison with one of my all-time favorite throwing putters, my peer. And Mm -hmm. I handed both of them back to him. And it was like a top secret, like, don't talk about this quite yet. You, know, you can mention it, but don't give out all the details. So I was like, all right, cool. Yeah. And then you're like, I got this inner core. Look at it. <laughs> and I, and that, I shredded the aviary with it. <laughs> I, without, yeah, It's a perfect disc for the aviary. Seriously. So. It, was so, it was so good. But, yeah, so that was kind of the first. I finished up my third round uh, and was just chatting with you. Did you play MPO that tournament or did you play MPO? No, I was MPO playing it. I was playing MA1. Uh, I, okay. I dabble. So that was an MA1 level event for me. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then since then, you and I have, or I guess not you and I have, I have worked with you in the warehouse where you are kind of the master of the Trash Panda Warehouse domain, correct? 
Yeah, I am the head of operations uh, for Trash Pandas. So uh, I deal with, with everything as it comes to making sure people get their discs, uh, making sure discs are being made. I work alongside Jesse on that. Uh, I'm part of that process now. Um, and anything else that's being thrown at, disc recycle program uh, is a huge undertaking taking that uh, I've been on since day one of that program. So getting recycled discs from retailers and local players and making more use of that, uh, those plastics and in, in creating more sustainability within the sport uh, by having that program available. And we've got some really awesome things coming in the future with that, but uh, we are still building that program. We just got our 1000th recycled discs from uh, uh, the community. Uh, Jesse posted, uh, Jesse and Tom had that on the Instagram story, uh, uh, maybe this week, maybe late last week, can't recall the day. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, a lot of great things coming for trash pan. I'm super happy to be on board with that. And really that inner core is how I got involved with trash panda to even begin with without the inner core coming, I would probably still just be, uh, bumming around. I still work with the national amateur disc golf tour as well. So awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, part of why we wanted to bring you on one, actually it came up last week in our podcast. We were, I can't remember what was said, but it was something along the lines of, Oh, actually, you know what? We should ask Kyle about that. You know what? He would be a good person to have as a guest on the pod. I was like, I've worked with Kyle a bunch now, so maybe I can pull some strings and see if we can uh, snag him on the pod. I love um, podcasts. So excited to be good. here for it. <laughs> I'm glad yeah, you called or texted me. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we wanted to talk to you about being a tournament director, uh, running disc golf themes, just kind of generally broad spectrum across the board. You run the NADGT tournaments here in Colorado, the National Amateur Disc Golf Tour tournaments. Uh, and according to a trusted source of mine, who is almost a thousand rated, shout out to Micah. He said that the Colorado disc golf scene would not be what it is today without one Kyle Harrigan. So without, you know, making you feel too big, you know, uh, making your head too large there, um, talk to us about how you got into being a TD and also just like that world. Because we really just have very little experience or idea in being a tournament director or what it takes to run a tournament. Absolutely. So this will be a little long-winded of an answer, but it has yeah, to start with, yeah, it has to start with my beginning in 2010. So uh, my wife worked with this gentleman who, who I knew, uh, who knew people I had known when I graduated high school and started college, who also played disc golf and took me to Johnny Roberts with a buzz in my hand and probably an AVR putter. I just, I remember the buzz uh, and I started throwing with them. And six months later, they talked me into buying a PDGA membership, uh, a tag for the local club, and playing my first ever C tier. Uh, so uh, six months fresh, I uh, I uh, start playing tournaments. And sorry, my child is saying hi real quick. That's fine. Go lay down. Remember, thanks, bud. All right. We, anyway. we love we love special guests on the pod. <laughs> no matter how what I say. He still had to come out and say goodnight. So uh, um, anyway, six months in, I am immediately all into disc golf. Uh, I think I have a fade strap bag and I'm playing my first tournament and I finish second to dead last. 
uh, in recreational. I think I shot like a 650. And I was determined from that moment on to never finish that low in a tournament ever again. And that kind of catapulted my progress. So uh, I started playing events. I started getting really involved with the local club. And in 2012, I started running uh, the Mile High Disc Golf Club's tags at Expo Park on Tuesdays. Uh, it was kind of a staple of the local community. Uh, Doug Birkus was the previous tag master, uh, who some people know from his time with Dynamic Discs and is running at the DDO, various pro worlds, amateur worlds, junior worlds, and now director of operations for the Professional Disc Golf Association. Um, I took over for him, and I got to play that very first week with Doug, and he got to see my organization, and we got talking about it. So I played with him, Noemi, his wife, and and Paige Birkus, now Paige Shue. And he gave me some great feedback and really helped propel me up. So uh, within that year, we started going from 20 people a week to 60, 70. I had to run like a full-blown check-in program. I had, I was doing paper cards. I was destined to make tags feel like a small tournament Mm -hmm. um, because I, the part I was always missing early on in my game was the mental strength to compete and to be aware of how every shot affects your final score at the end of the game. Like I always knew that I'm trying to get the lowest score, but I didn't have the mental capacity at the time or strength to just keep going and going after that win, going after that best score. Um, So I wanted everybody to feel like it was like a beginner to bring you into the tournament world. And this is still when Colorado is averaging a tournament a month, maybe two, if you're, you're lucky. We have like three tournament directors in the state, everybody runs maybe one or two events a year and that's all they do. Um, so I ran those tags for two years and I jumped in, um, Marsha, uh, Sonder fan handed over spring fling, which was one of mile high disc golf clubs, staple events, focusing on beginner and entry level players. Um, and she said, as she was done running the tournament, it was time to, it, her time was done. It was time to hand that event off to somebody within the club. And I, had just gotten on the board that year and I raised my hand and I was first to say, I, it's mine. I want it. I, I want to do this. Um, so 2015 was that year. Uh, that's kind of when I started my TD journey. And so I ran what is, was one event, but you could call it two. There's two separate days. So it was spring fling am day, spring fling pro day. And the funny you, thing about, did you run this last on. year as well? Spring Fling? No, I was, uh, I haven't run Spring Fling since 2020. I have okay. been advisory staff, heavily involved, um, as a board member still with Mile High, but, um, I decided at some point it was my turn to hand that back to the club and give somebody else their opportunity to do what they wanted. And at first that was David Healy and now it's Joel Cheerhart and Josh Kreitzer who have done a phenomenal job with it. It's an awesome time. It's a blast. Um, and they've taken a lot of lessons I've learned and and grown even further with them. Uh, I'm very open book about uh, A, events I've run in the past, B, lessons I've learned along the way, because nobody gets better without learning from one another. And one of the first things that happened to me was I was wanting to run Spring Fling at Expo Park, seeing as I was so familiar with it from running tags there for three years. So I planned on one 90-person AM day, one 90-person pro day, Everything was going to be fantastic. At the time, disc golf scene didn't exist. We were using our own registration system on mhdgc.org. And we had hyped it up so well 
the system let in 120 people in three minutes. So all of a sudden I'm 30 people above capacity (sighs) and a panic set in because my very first event didn't just go smooth. It went chaotic from day one. So I had to find a solution. I ended up moving spring fling to an entirely different course because you know, if you know Exposition Park, it's an 18-hole course, and there's really not much else you can do with it. You can add three or four holes, maybe. Yeah. You still can't accommodate 120 people. No. Yeah. So we we, we moved to Bird's we, Nest. Uh, we talk about Expo often on this on this podcast. <laughs> it, it's got a special place in my heart. I love Expo. Do I choose yeah. to go there if I'm really jonesing for a round? If it's the right call, right time, if it's muddy, wet, like something. It's just a grass park. It's great. But I had to move to Bird's Nest and thank, thankfully John Bird was still before his retirement. Um, he's still in the community and he was like, Kyle, I can help you create two 18 hole layouts. And this is what a lot of us know is spring fling today, because since 2015, mm-hmm. we've traditionally done two 18 hole layouts for Amday at Bird's Nest. And it's a lot of fun. It's still tailored towards the beginner player. It's just meant to be a joyous day of 180 people getting out and playing disc golf. And that's where I started to learn. Um, fast forward a couple years, I ran three events in 2016. I ran four events in 2017. And yes, I have a cheat sheet of my tournament directing stats up in front of me. That's why I know those exact numbers. I know exactly how many events I've run, how many I've been a TD, how many I've been assistant TD and how many I've been a CT. Yeah. I've been tracking for a while though. So I just love (laughs) to have my own stats within this document. I also have my stroke by stroke stats from 220 and on. So a lot of things in here, but, um, but, um, I started to realize that I really liked the way certain things went. And I felt we still had a lot of old school tournament directors that were following their own way there. We, we hadn't learned from one another at this point. And we, um, and I was learning, I was taking in, I was still playing all these events. Um, I was maybe playing 10 events a year or something. I can look at my PDJ stats. It wasn't a lot of events, but I didn't feel anybody was doing anything better from year to year. They were just doing the same thing existing and not improving. Um, so I added some people around me to help. And that was in about 2017. And that was probably the best decision I ever made was start surrounding myself with people to help rather than thinking I'm a solo man, I can take it all on. Uh, and I decided that I'm just going to run more because this is what I enjoy doing. I enjoy running. I enjoy having happy people. I enjoy seeing their faces at the end of the day of the competition, feeling like things ran smooth. And this is before digital scorecards. So at lunch, as a tournament director, I wasn't just sitting around eating lunch, flipping things. I was literally flipping paper scorecards while counting physical paper scorecards to make sure that you counted them correctly <laughs> and that I didn't have to penalize you for counting poorly. Um, so I really started putting an effort into how those, uh, logistics functioned, like being a good tournament director in 2017 was about flipping the board quickly, getting it online, getting it up for players to see, letting them know their standings. Like I was bringing my wireless hotspot out and I was uploading them to the PDGA site for my Excel spreadsheet. And that was unheard of. Sometimes you wouldn't know full results for a tournament for two or three days until the TD got home, got his car unloaded and just sat down and loaded the scores. Yeah. Um. And I was doing that's on-site wild. and 
yeah, you knew what your 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 score was before you left. So people were super impressed by that at the time. Now nowadays, you go to a tournament and scores aren't loaded. It's because somebody didn't keep a digital score and you're already angry at it. Like you, we have that instant gratification now, which has been one of the best advancements in our sport from a tournament director perspective and a competition perspective. Um, but so that's where I just started my TD journey of just continually improving, continually being better, and providing some feedback to PDGA on things and adopting almost anything they threw at me there when digital scoring went live in 2019 i had a event one week after that and i was doing it there was no question i was running live scoring i was running digital scorecards we were going to do it no questions asked so um just anything we could do to be better and talking with tds and growing tds uh josh rosa um brandon neeler early on he he and i talked a fair bit like and these are Colorado TDs, sorry for mm-hmm. you not in Colorado, not knowing these TDs, but <laughs> I still talk and work with the Kyle Mottis, the Tom Hamiltons. I talk to John Bird. I've, I talk to Bill Alderman. I talk to all the TDs in the area. Um, and it's really cool right now as we're seeing old TDs coming back. Like TJ Lawrence is one of not only Colorado's original TDs, he was one of Colorado's original professional disc golfers. Like he was a star, he was the Joe Revere of Colorado before Joe even existed in the disc golf scene. And he's coming back and running events and wanting to get more involved. So it's really cool to see that PDGA has helped develop systems to make tournament directing easier for people and bringing some of the old school people back and they're getting their feet wet again. So nice. Anyway, I've rambled on for a while there. I'm not hundred percent sure I answered all the question. It it was just one question. You answered it. So good job. Yeah, it it was, it was the platforms speak um <laughs> i actually, actually don't have any questions as to like i feel like you paint a really good picture of what it takes to be a td where it was before where it is now uh but i, I kind of want to transition to the nadgt side so like how did you get yeah. involved in that uh i know that you're technically employed by the nadgt correct is yeah. that is that the proper yeah, so, term uh, i'm not sure yeah, I, I'm a contract employee uh, is my technical official term, but I'm an employee yeah. with them. Like I, I've been with the National Amateur Disc Golf Tour since 2019. Um, 2019, my life took a whole transition. Things were supposed to happen, didn't happen. And I ended up a stay-at-home dad uh, for a little while um, because of it, which one of the best years of my entire life, and quite frankly, was a huge transition year for me from five, six event tournament director a year and maybe 10 event player a year to 20 plus events ever since then. So, um, and I just was stay at home dad and Kyle Motti was heavily involved with Dave and tra- trying to grow the tour. Um, the, the NADGT used to be referred to as the next generation tour. Um, mm-hmm. and it started with Dave kind of doing some events and I think I met Dave in 2014 or 2015 when he ran like his first small iteration of it in Colorado. His now wife, Cynthia, used to live in the Longmont area, if I recall correctly. So he'd come and visit her and he would run an A-tier in October. Um, And it took a couple different names, but they started doing this tour and it was like six events to start, kind of grow. And I'd been playing them kind of since the get-go. And I actually ran an early next-gen event in think 2017 and it was unsanctioned at this point and i ran it at center hills and it was just kind of an introduction to what was happening and like this is when they were giving away a car and that was a really big deal for the next gen tour 
Uh, so I kind of got to meet Dave and had some background with him. But Kyle Mahdi, uh, who's based in Colorado, got heavily involved with Dave uh, from a long relationship. Kyle's been playing and running stuff since early 2000s. So he's known Dave since his touring, his really heavy touring days. Kyle called me one day. He was like, hey, Dave needs some help processing tournament reports uh, and getting some other things done. And you're really good at computer stuff. You're really analytical. And like, it was the stuff that Kyle and I do together, but I normally take on uh, the the back end things, like stuff I'm just very quick and knowledgeable about and I'm able to make it happen. I'm very computer literate. Um, so I just started doing that. That was like two days a week, like six hours a week. I was just keying reports, sending emails to players and it just grew. Uh, COVID hit in 2020 and my job was virtually stopped for them. So I had like three months of nothing. I didn't do anything. And we were, we couldn't run disc golf for in any state in the United States. PGA was suspended from March through June that year. And then we slowly were just building up and growing. And then 2021 hit and it was just like a wave of disc golf. And it was trial by fire. Quite literally. We, all of us had to learn as we went, I was keying 12 events a week, some weeks, like 15, one week. I think one week we had 16 and I almost lost my mind because uh, I prided myself on this system I developed that worked to a certain amount of events. And then it was broken. Uh, it, it, I would the never meet capacity my own personal was full. deadline. Yeah, my capacity was full. My deadlines can never be met. I was trying to create a consistency across the tour to make sure players had they knew that on Monday at 1 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, you're going to get the reports. You knew if you qualified for nationals, you knew your payouts were if they were applicable to the event. Uh, your late player packs were, were rolling. Your Anything that may have happened was an issue. Um, but I learned a lot that year, and Dave kept me on board. Um, I I just was bought in. Uh, I was ready to roll. I, I love growing the amateur side of the game. So... I just kept working with Dave and them and ultimately a lot of the things I was doing were better suited for somebody who was physically present in a warehouse or in an office environment with Dave. So my role has shifted um, as far as like some of the things I'm in charge of, but the stuff I'm in charge of has always been what I've started with. And then the things that it can really be taken care of by me. So uh, ultimately working with Dave, working with Kyle, we built a great base for the tour and a relative consistency across the nation uh, where we have like 21 events in Colorado this year. I think I got 10 of them from me and Kyle Motti combined, Josh Rosa and Bill Alderman yeah. and some other areas. And we're growing the tour across the country as far as participation goes. Um, but it's an ever evolving thing of how to transition the amateur disc golfer to the professional disc golfer, which is the entire goal of the National Amateur Disc Golf Tour. Now we will always have the lifer amateur players. That's just a core of our sport. And especially when it comes to competition, uh, that'll just never change. But um, I just work with them to try to keep that growing. And, and every year we look to get smarter, better, and more efficient than the previous year to make the player experience even better. So, So question there. If I'm currently an amateur, I'm not yep. as good as you are, so I don't I don't venture into the MPO field yet. Um, but if I were to say play um, a tournament this weekend mm -hmm. uh, at Expo, 
oddly enough, you know, we're talking about Expo. Go, going around with it. Uh, huh? Exactly. Uh, if I were to play MPO there, would I be unable to play in the NADGT tournament in Austin or in future NADGT tournaments? Or how, how so does that work? Starting this year, it's about professional um, – it's about uh, amateur classification, I should say. So in the past, the core of the tour, because there was no real transition for players like like me, and I can talk about my reasoning between the AM and pro status stuff and why I did that in a moment, but um, there was these tweener pros that were 950, 960 rated who never had this ability to transition and if like fully get to that next level. And that's really who the tour yeah. is built for, is that kind of range. Um, so... This year we change. You have to be a classified amateur with the Professional Disc Golf Association to compete at the tour championships in Austin, Texas. Uh, you have – we we always knew we were going to get to this level where our top competitors in amateur ranks were growing and able to hold their own at this level, and they felt like there was a true transition. So this year yeah. we made that change. We transitioned to amateur classification was a requirement. Um, granted we still abide by pdga rules for all of our lower end events so all of our exclusive c tiers c times all of those you could be a classified professional and compete the thing is is you're just not eligible to qualify for the national championships in austin texas cool. so um we've just had to grow and adapt uh, along the way become smarter about how we're doing it and right now we're almost at 900 registration uh 900 people registered for the national championships in austin which is growth even over last year when we allowed professional classification members up to a certain dollar point to yeah. be able to compete at those events so we have a true transitioning amateur event that is going to be huge this year which is awesome that's cool that's cool um i i like how you are emphasizing and growing the amateur side of disc golf and pushing players when they have the skills and the ambitions into that pro level um, with the pro tour, having their elite series and then their silver mm -hmm. series, do you feel like there needs to be, and I, I think the NAGGT is close to being that kind of bridge, but do you think yeah. there should be a more like set standard, almost regionalized, tier of tournaments and level of competition um between a silver series elite and the nadgt for players to kind of uh, compete and play on absolutely and i think this is this does tie into some of the long-term nadgt stuff so one of the things we offer every year is nine premier level events these are eight tiers that the nadgt runs around the country and the winner of MA1 and FA1 get a paid entry into a uh, sorry into a DGPT silver or regular series event mm -hmm. to kind of help transition those players up. Like they're obviously skilled to have won an A tier event in their yeah. amateur division. So see how they can compete and stack up. And yeah. what I do see as whether it's NADGT that does this or somebody else who figures it out. I think the silver series might start transitioning or I hope kind of start transitioning to it. There, there used to be regional pros. Uh, these are guys that play in these five States and that's where they always work. So they're close yeah. and they just can't quite cut it on the tour. The tour is a grind. Like I yeah. can't imagine or more than 30% of it. Cause it's like, 
you're going and you're paying you're playing yeah paying three hundred dollars to entry fee and then you're getting your three hundred dollars for getting last cash or even missing it so it's like or, or nothing it, or nothing yeah so it seems like it's not yeah. viable for that 50th through 100th person to yeah. be continually on tour absolutely it's incredibly hard you can't survive tour money or it's sponsor money doesn't even get you there and a lot of time you're just you're hawking discs you're selling you're you're vending your merch you're like you're not even able to fully focus you can't be paul mcbeth where paul no. i doubt even worries about a tour series disc like no that's never a thought in his mind he's just i'm gonna go play disc golf i'm gonna win this weekend i don't have to grind to get from from uh ledgestone to deglow i no. can just take a flight i might even be able to fly home and come back out like <laughs> He's got no worries in the world, but you get like the the Nick Hansons to bring a touring pro from Colorado in the mix who's yep. grinding week in, week out, having to qualify at Monday qualifiers just to play a DGPT event. Which and he has done he's really with... well this year of doing so. Isn't he like four yeah. out of six or like yeah. made into a lot of them? Yeah, I think he's old. I think he's only missed two. And the best part about it is he's working with gatekeeper along the way. So when he's not competing, he's filming. Yeah. Um, so like he's the definition right now of grind. And and I know there's more than just Nick Hansen grinding out the tour right now, but it's, it's huge. So we really need a full silver series of, that's tour. not meant for the elite level pros. Yeah. We need yeah. a secondary tour. It's, yeah. it's the only way the pro tour is going to be able to continually feed itself and get new talent in the limelight um you know every yeah. year we end up with one or two names that pop out gannon burr was a breakout kyle klein was a breakout you know this year who knows who the breakout is we have seven different dgpt uh a series winners. event winners than we yeah. had in years past like mm -hmm. it's it's going to be insane the growth of disc golf is awesome the professional game has a lot of maturing to do before we can even get to that next level too yeah for sure who who is the kid that Kyle played against at Roy G? Who Jonathan kind of Nicholson? Up on the... So yeah, there's Jonathan yeah. Nicholson, and then there's another kid with like the absolute worst bowl, like lengthened out. Bowl Are you talking about Jake Mon? Yes. Yeah. I competed that at kid. that. I competed at that next gen, which is what hooked me on the tour. Uh, I caddied for Jonathan Nicholson in that final nine. I did everything in my power to show up on Joe Med's coverage. You can see me. I'm in the backgrounds. <laughs> I'm moving, uh, I'm but uh, yeah, exactly. And I, uh, Jonathan stayed, he stayed in our That's house awesome. with us. So I got to know him. And because he caddied for me, he bought me the best steak dinner in the world that next, that following night or that night after he got second place to Kyle. But watching Kyle even on cruise control was insane. Like, the guy didn't have, he was up by like nine strokes at this point. Jonathan was up by like eight on third place. So those guys are playing for nothing other than first and second. But yeah, the, the talent that came yeah. out of that, that year, Jonathan went on tour. He was the captain of DD mm -hmm. for a while. Kyle is obviously the Kyle Klein we know today. Like if you don't know Kyle Klein, you're just not paying attention to the pro tour. Literally um, had his first creator series disc drop today. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Vanguard. It's an awesome disc. I do love it. It's great. I've gotten to throw it a couple pretty times. Cool. It's going to make the, it'll make the bag pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, that was, that was an insane event. And we don't, we haven't had a Kyle Klein really since then. I mean, Micah was pretty dang good uh, in 2021. That was an impressive victory. Um, 
last year, uh, Zach, uh, did great too, but, uh, he hasn't really broken onto the pro tour kind of like Kyle did. And, and Michael's still graduating yeah. high school. So he hasn't had the chance to hit the tour hard, but I expect you'll see Micah out there quite a bit in the coming years. But Kyle immediately went out and started making a name for himself. He was ready to roll. He had won USA GGC that year. He won the next gen. He was ready to hit the road and he came out firing. Well, Michael, I'll be curious to see if uh, that one kid who was Kyle Klein with right. thinner did, shoulders. Did you see his his post today? He signed with DD, Ryan Mulder. Mm. Yeah, the guy who won uh, USA DGC this year. Kid yep. looks great. He's Dude, a solid golfer. He is literally <laughs> – I don't know how insane. tall Kyle Klein is, but, like, he is Kyle Klein 2.0. Form – Yeah. Just the way he like, he's got holds that himself. build too. That yeah, that really looks lengthy, just like him. Arm. His, his yeah. shoulders are like into here. Yeah, and so he is just able to like. Um, it's a, sli- it's a slingshot. It, he, yeah, his arm is a literal whip. Yeah, it's so it's so weird to watch. We played right behind him uh, during our practice round. Oh, you guys got to see him in person. Oh man, that's insane. Yeah, dang. Yeah, and he's wearing these clunky old hiking boots. And- <laughs> Just plain, plain black socks pulled up past his calf, like not not knee calf, high, so. but just like way too high. That's also yeah. true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, moving on to the next question. Um, this is for you, Kyle. It's got a few parts to it, so you're gonna nice nice ramble on. Um, you have been doing tournaments uh, from non-sanctioned to a tiers in colorado what are your future aspirations for hosting a tournament are like do you plan want to host a pro tour and then parts to this one do you think colorado can do you think colorado can host one and if you do where do you think that would be so just kind of your future aspirations as a tournament director yeah, awesome. and then that'll transition us to some of our quick hitters in terms of like Colorado courses, stuff like that. Perfect. Well, um, my aspirations. Uh, so right now, like my big personal baby is the High Plains Challenge. Uh, it's an A-tier event. And last year, I was fortunate to Yeah, out in Fort Morgan, my one of my favorite places in the world. When John Bird was ready to hand that off uh, in twenty. 20 thank you covid uh i was first raised my hand and then that year got canceled uh great times but my aspirations is to keep running high level events uh for local colorado players uh if touring pros are here i'm excited that's great you're here let's enjoy it Uh, i hope i can learn from you i pick their brains and i listen to them um i i want to keep providing events to the people here um and in the future maybe that'll be a pro tour event i have been part of the silver series staff uh the 303 open in i oh, believe yeah. it was 2019 uh I, i'm fairly confident it was 2019 was yeah. a silver series dgpt event and it didn't get the whole support this is before jeff spring took over so it didn't get all the support doing a variety of things that happened uh, leading up to it and it didn't get the big feel of the of the pro tour that we wanted but um ultimately it's not my goal to bring it here 
if the pro tour goes Kyle, we've heard good things about high plains challenge through a three open Colorado States, whatever it might be. I'm open to discuss and I'd love their support and I'd love to provide that for the community. But ultimately I think the bigger service I can personally give to the community is a consistent, well-run quality event from a C tier to an A tier and make you want to come back. I measure my success not on how many events I run, not how many people even sign up for an event. It's how many faces of people come back and play my events time and time and time again. Um, I've got some plans in the work for 2024 that'll help me gauge some of that a little bit better. Um, And I've seen some success with some of my test runs. uh, So I feel really good about that. But I aspire to be a good TD for the state of Colorado and to build for our community. Um, Moving on to the other question. I think the match play in Bailey hurt things a little. Um, (laughs) Pros already don't like playing at elevation. We learned that with Worlds in Utah. Bunch of babies. um, Yeah, that was a big feedback about Worlds being in Utah. Uh, Come on, guys. We had a miracle shot. Yep. But... Joel coming to town, winning on essentially home turf and elevation. And Bailey was, I just think it was harmful. Um, it was too much of an elevation jump because that's, I want to say, 88, 90, 200, somewhere in that range. It's up there. Yeah, that's, it's, that's it's, a bit high. Like, that's, it's, that's a fun event for them to come through. Maybe like an all-star event, yeah. potentially. Well, I mean, the match play was supposed to be kind of an all-star event. They just don't enjoy playing in that. They just don't. Like, if they would have brought it to... It, it, this is not to say I should have run it in Fort Morgan, but if they would have brought it to Fort Morgan, that's 4,700 feet. That's a different ball game. Uh, yeah. Things don't seem as drastic. I mean, they were coming, if I recall correctly, they went from that's, Oregon that's what to is. Bailey. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that sounds right. They just, they still don't like, they like 3,000 yeah. and below. They like sea level, but they transitioned from Beaver State Fling, if I recall correctly, to Bailey. I mean, they, they went from sea level to, to the yeah. sky. Like, it yeah. was a terrible transition time. And um, I think <laughs> I literally just did tour, that last week. And yeah. uh, I it's a little, little bit more fun to play at low elevation. Right. But I mean, right. they're being a bunch of babies. Also, my putt, I didn't have to do step putts in Oregon. That was kind of nice. I, ju- I just learned that. Yeah, I got really good at putting elevation, so when I go lower, I hate that. Um, yeah. I, arguably, the only skill set I really possess as a borderline MPO MA1 player in Colorado is that I putt really good. I don't throw far. I don't. I approach really well, but I also putt really good. This is the one thing I have going on for me. It's why I'm competitive at courses in the MPO field like Prickly Pines, because I can play short mm-hmm. woods game, but I can make big putts, and that's the only way I can do it. So as soon as you take me to an open field course and I'm trying to compete in MPO, I struggle. I just can't hang it. Yeah. But if we're going to bring a pro tour event in Colorado, it's got to be a lower elevation. It's got to be, um, it's got to be a, a Pueblo city park in a ex- super expanded layout. Pueblo city park is still sure. even probably 3000 feet short of what it needs to be. Like you need, if you're going to be in Colorado, short. Yeah, you're, you, but if you're going to be in Colorado at most in our arid air, ugh, our dry desert climate, like our arid mountain climate, whatever they call it out here. Yeah. There's not a lot of trees in these big courses that are going to be accessible for people to travel into and have accommodations. They don't want to play in the woods at 9,000 feet. So we're going to have to take a Pueblo and get it to a 10,000 foot course or like Fort Morgan where it's a 10,000 foot course. And then you're going to have to add OB lines 
to differentiate between the thousand rated player and the nine ninety rated player because that's where their or sorry thousand thirty rated player. Let's get higher because that's their difference is accuracy on the fairway. A lot of times is spray mm-hmm. and pray. You know, it's so we have a lot we have to do and accomplish to be able to create a pro tour course out here. I think we have the support. I think we have the infrastructure with local clubs and groups. I think we have potentially some viable properties in places like Boulder, but I don't see it getting the support because of our elevation. <laughs> like, yeah, it's literally yeah. just, they don't want to be here. Paul, yeah. Macbeth, they will skip it. Like big germs come out here. Nico's come out here. Uh, Kyle Klein's been out here many times. Eagle obviously doesn't mind coming home. Nathan queen. I've talked to him a lot about playing in Colorado. He came out to two, three or three opens and I got to sit there on the bench and just chat with him for a bit. And man, I love picking his brain. Deanne Carey, AJ Carey. I, I've had the opportunity to talk to a lot of these people. We have a USDGC qualifier in the 303 open, which I help run. Mm-hmm. So I've been able to interact with some of these pros and pick their brains. And a lot of it tends to come down to the golf that's very accessible isn't the most exciting. And we have to artificialize a lot of OB and then the elevation. Because as soon as you get into the trees, we have so much gain in elevation that it's not as fun to them and they hate it. It makes them angry when their putts don't float into the basket. They just don't fly just as far. Yeah. So that that's my take on Pro Tour. Silver Series, whatever it might be out here. I hope it happens one day. I gladly will support it. I'll be the front. And quite frankly, if I wasn't running an A tier directly up against Match Play last year, I would have been up there helping any way I possibly could have, whether it be a spotter, whatever it was, I'd be there. But I just don't know that it's going to happen anytime soon. Well, I think that's a refreshing take because you have more experience than anybody else that we've asked that question to. And also, presented an uh, insight with somebody who has talked to people on tour yeah. with, I mean, yes, you were flexing on us right there and, and whatever. We'll get, I was name dropping the war, uh, man. <laughs> <laughs> that was a long list too, but, uh, but it was, and you, you probably could have kept going is the thing. Um, but I honestly didn't think about it in terms of that, just like being kind of the biggest red flag to the pro tour which now that you say that i'm like i i understand why they don't like it and as someone who is not going to be moving out of here soon i uh wish they'd just suck it up but whatever you know you know (laughs) if we have to head out to emporia at least we we got them close like that's the thing like we got them close it's fun it's it's really yeah. exciting when they're in town. I will say from a tournament director's perspective, it's not always fun to have them in town, especially since they're on the pro tour now. They have these sets of expectations. expectations and... and you're just like, why yep. would you think that's never been like a standard? Oh, well, they do it on the pro tour. I'm like, honey, you ain't, you this ain't, ain't, it. This ain't on it. the pro tour right now. <laughs> yeah, this is this is Colorado. I'm sorry. I'm the TD, but I'm also spotting on hole 17. Um, so yeah. I can't walk with your card to make rule calls in the middle of your round. You're going to have to provisional it and bring it back to me. Like that, that was a fun one at High Plains this year with the Touring Pro. I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I don't have time to follow your card for three and a half hours. I have this place I have to be That's to awesome. tell you if you're safe or yeah. not. We'll definitely get <laughs> yeah. into the, the, um, the, the stories from tournaments that you've had. So. Love them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
Cool. Well, do we want to throw some quick hitters at you before we jump into your bag? Let's do it. Okay. Sweet. Favorite course in Colorado? Favorite course in Colorado? Um, I'm going to pick two of them, and I can't decide between the two, but it's going to be Pueblo City Park, and it's going to be uh, Colorado Mountain College in Glenwood. Two quick reasons. My first ever tournament was at Pueblo City Park. Colorado Mountain College in Glenwood was my first ever sanctioned win. Nice. Oh, okay, there you go. What about more the more the sentimental reason? Yeah. Yes, for yeah. sure. They're both phenomenal courses, though. If you are yeah, 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 yeah. play them, Pueblo is amazing. Pueblo is tough. I love every bit of it. What did you shoot first round of uh, Colorado State's level? Okay. Uh plus one because of a uh, the most ridiculous fit I've ever had in the world on hole sixteen. Ah, I, I hit the pole and it cut ooh, through the back. I still don't know spit how. Spit outs. Our favorite. I birdied hole sixteen. Believe it or not, yeah, jealous now uh, because I bogeyed it. I birdied it, and then I, I missed a fifteen footer for par on the next hole. So, yeah, that's just, a tough hole too. That's just yeah. how it goes. But uh, that's level um, for you, baby. Yeah, no, I shot plus four. It, I did not start out my tournament too great there, but you followed up with a plus uh, negative ten, if I recall correctly. So. I did. That <laughs> was pretty sick. <laughs> um, What's your favorite course in the Denver metro area? Metro area? Do you consider Elizabeth metro area? Is that too far? Um, Probably too far. No, we'll, yeah. we'll say no because that's okay, the so easy answer. Adams Hollow. Okay. Yeah, that's. I think it's close enough. It's an awesome course. It's got good variety. It's fun. Sick. I like it. Your favorite shot to throw? Bye. Yeah, your favorite shot to throw on the course. Putter throw. Uh, preferably 200 to 300 feet. It's the most accurate tell of your form. It's the most accurate tell of wow. how you throw a disc. Um, it's the least likely to correct your uh, mistakes. And putter throws are under speed force. So harps, zones, things like that do not count as a putter Don't throw. Count. They are approach throws. They do not Agreed. count as a putter throw. So um i i think it's the most pure form of disc golf to show you your game nice i like it uh favorite course outside of colorado that you've played roy g roy g let's go roy g. hands Love down roy g. g is the the i the first time i ever played roy g was a hundred percent blind for the uh next generation tour championships in 2019 because in order to play roy g i had to make a cut and i only had time to practice the two other courses are two courses and I chose the two that I had to play in order to make said cut. And I played Roy G blind. I think I shot, I want to say a plus four and I went, Oh my God, this course is the most amazing course I've ever played in my entire life. And every time I'm in Austin, Texas, I have never left without playing Roy G. It's awesome. I'm, I'm dying to get back down there. I shot like plus 13 my first yes. time, like a so year hard. into playing disc golf or less than a year into playing disc golf. Uh, max throw of two fifty at that point. It's pretty God. solid uh such a good course but i've been i've been dreaming of going back to that course and ever since we talked at the warehouse i'm like well yes i need to go back down in october and play roy g yeah. with you so but i i don't have a lot of the bucket list course bucket list courses off my list i don't have maple i don't have Idlewild. Mm. i don't have um uh any of the west Ledgestone. Coast. yeah Ledgestone. i don't have uh i'm drawing a blank on the course where beaver's being held all of a sudden but milo um, Milo, yeah, I don't have those off my list, so I'm sure they compete. But for my list, Roy G is hands down the course I would play the rest of my life at. 
if I could, if I had to. It is a course that you can go back to and play again and again. Whereas there are some courses where you're like, yep, that kicked my butt. And also I don't really want to go back. Like, so I feel like Met Center, like D glow. I'm like really excited that I played it five times in four days or whatever it was. Yeah. But I want to experience toboggan just as well, but it's, I'm good I, I to see it. not go back until next year kind of thing. Whereas yeah. like Roy G, if I lived in Austin, I'd play it like once a month. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a good choice. Uh, Mike. Um, what was your first few discs and or like favorite discs when you just started? Or just your first one? First, the first disc I ever bought myself was a Leopard um of course i very quickly followed it up with the, I, look when i started disc golf i had very good guys who That's didn't good. believe in handing me the wrong things so my first discs were a buzz a leopard and i believe i was putting with a birdie at the time because i really loved the thumb track <laughs> um, nice. and then and then i got scared and i bought a blowfly two because i decided that a putter that sits down after you hit the cage was better than anything else and i put it <laughs> for that with that for a year so those are my entry level discs i quickly added That's a roadrunner i quickly added a wraith and then i don't even remember a lot of my bag from 2012 11 through 2000 and probably 15 but it was all over the place yeah of course that's great i love it um favorite mold and run of that mold of all time. That's a hard one. Um, I could choose a lot of things, but uh, I think I will lean on the disc I drive with the most for my high-speed drivers. I use a ballista, not a pro, a regular old ballista. Uh, and yeah, you said you've I, got like 14 of them or something, right? Yeah, they're all <laughs> a 2019, 2000, yeah, 2019 run of them if i recall correctly uh and i have been gradually cycling them out and i am down to like my final four and i just found a guy with four more that i bought um and i know that they're all from 2019 because they have my spring fling tournament stamp from that year and i kind of <laughs> hoarded them because i really like the way they fly nice. um and i was never really a believer in runs until i bought more of those discs that don't fly anything near that way so uh 2019 nice. ballista just because I love a good Heiser flip disc and that disc provides it to me. And I've been able to change out a lot of other discs with other molds. And that's what I've never found a replacement for. So nice. Done. I like it. Uh, are there any pros that you like to watch most or more and, or like emulate your game after I go back and forth between Eagle and Calvin um eagle's funny because i grew up with him like grew up as a disc golfer uh yeah, yeah. i should oh, i was gonna up. say it's like wait very i'm like 15 years older than eagle but when i, I was, was a little starting, confused because like, your, like, your kids are kind of a little yeah. bit older uh when, when, <laughs> when i started eagle was like top level ma1 guy and i always looked up to him so like as i was growing i learned um so i teeter between 
my throwing style is very unique in how I throw. It's it's not great form. It's not anything great. But my putting style varies. And I teeter between Eagle and Calvin when it comes to putting style. Like, I'll cover my eyes sometimes. Uh, and that's how I know I've been watching a lot of Calvin lately. And I'm feeling really confident in that loft, this loft spin putt that's just going to go in. That sploosh that just always dead center. And sploosh. I can tell when I'm doing Eagle when I've got those power putts that are just freaking going dead center chains. I feel really great about that spin putt. So um, I emulate those two the most. I respect all of their games tremendously and Eagle, especially with his injury and his, his lack of throwing sidearm. I live that a lot more. So I watch a lot of his game and I don't look for the hero shot often, but I respect and I learn from those two's game. So nice. I like that. Um, if you could be sponsored by one manufacturer, mm. who would it be? I like an open bag. Uh, I'm gonna just be straight up honest. I, in, in I'm my taking years, I'm taking infinite and I'm taking clocks <laughs> off the table. Yeah. Then for it, you, in, you gotta in take my, one. In my time <laughs> growing up, I would have said Dynamic Disc because it was a huge like they became a manufacturer in the midst of my mm. growing yeah. and being next to Colorado, they came in and then Discmania comes in and like literally my bag is a mix of of Discmania <laughs> Dynamic Disc. And then I'm sponsored by Finish Line Disc, and I love the era. It's an amazing disc, and I that was, I don't change my bag much, and we'll get into that. I know more, but last year I felt that disc. I threw that disc twice, and I bought four of them, and it was immediately in my bag. Like sometimes I just find a disc that makes things great. And then Trash Panda comes out with the Inner Core last year and changes the entire putter game when it comes to throwers, and it was a compliment to my peer, which is my favorite throwing putter of all time, specifically the Gold X peer. But the compliment I have of the two of them. That's great. So it's really hard to say one or the other. I want as much of an open bag as I can. So if I have a manufacturer, yeah, look at that's gold X pier right there. Yeah, that white one too. Not many of those. I got multiple Flat red top, ones. Baby. The They're the greatest. But finish line disc has allowed me to keep an open bag. And that's mm-hmm. really helped me continue my disc golf journey. And I mean, seeing as they have Drew Gibson as their is the brand, he's infinite and open bag. I love that they allow me to keep an open bag while giving me new fun, good feeling discs. But um, it, 2015, Kyle would have said dynamic discs. 2020, Kyle would have said Dismania. Now I can't ever imagine being restricted to one bag, but there might be somebody one day with an offer I can't refuse. And I'll say yes. Yeah. Well, I respect it. Yeah. <laughs> and Michael, unless you have anything else that's pressing, I say we jump right into the bag. No, you've you've teased enough of it. I want to know what's in there right now. <laughs> Let's go. It, it's a perfect transition. So uh, take it away. Okay. Yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll lead you, and you tell us what's okay. going on because you've already talked about the inner core, which we are huge supporters of the inner core. You talked about the pure, and I believe you putt with a deep dish putter. I do. Um, I put with the Innova Made P2 still, um, specifically the Glow P line. Uh, and I only put with those in the summer. You... I go to D line for the winter. And for the most part, the only reason I still do is because I have so many. Now, <laughs> the story of why I put with P2s goes back to 2019. And I, for the first time ever in my life, left my putters at home. And I was meeting the Mile High Disc Golf Club board members for a tag round. We have a board member tag. 
that we we play for and i forgot my putters and i've never once in my life forgot my putters at home i I, they're in my (laughs) bag constantly i've never walked out but ray woodruff was playing and ray and i have been friends and and disc golf adversaries for a while and i was like i know what you put with you put with p2s i know how they fly can i borrow one for the round like just so i can get through this like i'm not going to putt with i think this was before i threw the pure and obviously before the inner core existed so the p2 was it was like a p2 and a harp those were like the two putters in my bag uh, i'm not going to put the harp for the entire round uh he gave me a p2 and i won that match by like nine strokes and i instantly switched okay. to the p2 and i haven't gone back i was a peer before then p2 cents that's my that's my putter awesome and do you still have uh peers and do you throw p2s at all I don't. I did throw the Sky God three for a while. Love that putter. It was a great thrower. And then the Kristen Tatar Gold X Pier came into my life, and I haven't looked back. Um, it's, it's the so most neutral straight, flying dude. putter. Yep, it's the most neutral flying putter I've ever thrown in my entire life. It doesn't have any right left. It doesn't. It it will glide on a hyzer if you put it properly. But um, I added that to the bag. Haven't looked back. Uh, the inner core has been a huge compliment to it, a little more understability to it for my arm, uh, until I get into the, the TPE plastic and the slightly heavier weights, then that flies a little more like a pier. And I use that a lot for sticky up shots, anything I want to stick to the ground. Um, nice. so I carry two putting putters, two throwing putters, and then a sticky throwing putter. So five putters in my bag at every single time. Nice. Every round. And then a, approach discs. Are you still a harp guy or where, where are yep. you at with approach discs? I carry a soft harp and I carry a razor claw three. And for the exact same reason, they, they pretty much operate the same way. One sticky, one skips. It's, it's all about the shot. I'm trying to execute and all said and done. Uh, I do have a little more confidence with the flick with the razor claw three. Yep. I've got two aces on my razor claw three. It's made me $600 in the last year. Uh, so really hard to, yeah, really hard to give that one up. Um, some Flex really awesome aces. Jeez. Yeah, yeah, and I have a little bit of an ace battle going with a really good friend of mine, and we're trying to get three aces on one disc. The issue is, is his is on a fairway driver where he can get his third, and I can get my third on a putter thrower or approach disc. So the odds are in my favor, but I just can't seem to ring that third one up. It's really pissing me off. It'll be it'll it'll come <laughs> before you know it. That's I'm a, gonna try. We, we feel really bad for you since you just <laughs> flexed on us that you've won six hundred bucks on two aces but whatever i that's just two aces my first ever tournament ace i didn't pay into the ace pot it was a 380 <laughs> foot hole and i lost 600 dollars. i paid into ace pots from here forward yeah. and that was at an a tier i was still mad about it it was out of pessimist it was with a bolt that's how terrible my arm was at the time oh that's awesome yeah it was that disc is retired and sitting in a sitting in a bin it it will never be thrown again but it'll it'll yeah. cherish a good memory of not getting 600 dollars <laughs> disowned <laughs> yes um uh, i just uh, we'll i like move, how i like how you oh, um are playing with like not only different plastics for the flights but just like how they react on the ground and i think a lot yeah. of a lot more players that might be listening here need to like also think about the terrain that you're playing on yeah. um it's not just about flights it's about getting and staying close to the basket so i, th- I just have, think that have you ever played have you ever played Pioneer Park in Sterling, Colorado? No. No. So Pioneer Park has holes one through three are park style, super manicured grass, green and lush. You go holes four through eight are kind of more like bird's nest, uh, kind of bare ground, 
skips, um, not a lot of stick. And then you go 10, nine through 15 are short tunnel shots with natural grass and trees. And then you go whole 16 through 18, you're back to park style. So you have three different styles of golf that you have to play. And my harp and my razor claw, for example, will be used all round for different, for the exact same shot, but for different end results. Um, and, and I have to think about the terrain I'm playing on and how I'm going to keep that disc within a certain distance in the basket in order to minimize the damage. I, every shot I take is the high percentage shot. I don't, I think as I alluded earlier, I don't take the hero shot. It's very rare. I go, that's the line up there. I go for the high percentage. And if the high percentage is par, I play the high percentage par. And if I get lucky and get the birdie out of it, great. But I'm playing for the end result on that hole. I've walked up that hole. I likely have a game plan. And if I get lucky, I will try to take advantage. But I will not force myself into a shot or an area that I'm uncomfortable. I may err based on some sort of execution flaw, but I will always look for the highest percentage to get the score I was after. Nice. Like, this is a man after our own development of this podcast. Because we would talk game plan for tournaments and stuff. And that's kind of how this uh, podcast was developed for us, which is kind of fun. Yeah. I love talking about game plan. It's such a, it's such an important part of the game. It's the best. I, I, I make a, we, we share notes with each other. And so we make a game plan for our notes. What tournament in Colorado did it help you with? It It was. Uh, The first one was the one that I won at Bird's Nest, uh, Spring Flame. Yeah. Last year, right? I played M. Uh, yes, last yeah. spring I played MA2 and I shot like 11 down on the front. Sandbagger. And then I had, uh, well, okay, so this, that was my first ever MA2 tournament. And the kid that I played against was Eagle McMahon Light. It's Caleb and Tucker, baby. <laughs> yes. This kid's I, a G. He, he's he, so good. He was razzing me for like throwing forehands. I'm like, dude, I'm a lefty. Like I'm playing these <laughs> right-handed holes. Like, like. Just, just chill out, okay? All okay, right. Well. My my car is older than you are, okay. So just chill <laughs> out a little bit, buddy. Um, but I shot eleven down, and then, and then we were tied like all the second round, and I I made twenty five foot clutch putt in his face on the last hole to win it, and uh, he like he like threw like a hissy fit afterwards, and I was like, yeah, whatever. I just won an MA two tournament, but that like it felt like a legitimate win. And ever since then, I'm like, okay, well, I can never play MA2 now. And, you know. As soon as I got my MA2. Trying to be like Kyle. Yep. Trying to push to uh, MPL. So, I want to get a a solid MA1 win. I get you, man. I get you. MPL. uh, um, Okay. Sorry. Mid-ranges. You did approach discs. Tell us about your mid-ranges. If you don't have the Dune in there, I, I am going to be really disappointed in you. Dune is in there. It's got its spot. <laughs> um, so so I carry the Dune. I carry the Mindbender, which is an MD1. And I'm writing mm-hmm. them down as I talk because I got to remember. I carry the MD3. <laughs> I carry a Verdict. And I carry a Justice. Now, Justice is really clear. Overstable utility. It's pulled yeah. out when it needs to be, when the Harper, the Grazer Claw just isn't long enough to get the job done or doesn't have the bite. The verdict and the MD3 are almost interchangeable right now. The verdict I have in the bag is from 2016. It's very straight flying with a dump at the end. And the MD3, which is a Iron Samurai 4, does almost the exact same thing. So they're interchangeable. One of them just has sentimental value. The other one just feels good in the hand. 
maybe one day one of them drop out of the bag. I think it's just a matter of which one gets lost first, and that's the way I will move. <laughs> now, the MD1 and the Dune are both after very similar shots, but the issue is, is how they finish. So to me, the first earlier Dunes that I have in the bag is a little flippy at the end, and it gives me that right-leaning fade. The Mindbender, thrown properly, is a straight and sits flat, and it's good. So, it, again, it's like that pure inner core compliment. Just, I need that in my bag. I need that under stability. The Origin used to fit the Dune slot for me, but it was mm. too flippy. Uh, now, we got some cool new Dune things coming that will possibly rival my MD1 in the bag. We will see when they stock run and how they roll, but... They are both super compliments to me. They're both very much in my bag. I carry the Golden Hour Dune right now. I have the very first Mindbender I got. It's purple. It's awesome. I love every bit of it. Nice. My so, mid-rangers are like my least usedest, though, so I don't spend a lot of time on There's I don't even carry multiples to any of those. That's literally the five discs that are just sitting in that slot. They don't, yeah. they don't get two. They get a singular one of those, and I use them when I need them. Yeah. That's kind of like us, too. We... we... I, are very limited in our mid-range game we both are like you in that we like throwing putters as well and if we can throw a putter we're going to and if we need something to like fade super hard we'll just disc up to a fairway driver and power down i i feel comfortable to like 330 with a pier like i feel okay okay with it i don't i don't need like the md1 is if i'm trying to really give some power on a straight line and not have the flip. So I'm throwing it probably at the same power. I'm throwing like a pier, but the pier being a speed three will flip and then yeah. one mold. So well, I carry two mid ranges in my bag and it's one mold. Yeah. All right. Onto the, onto the fairways. What do you got over here? All right. Fairways. I'm a little all over the place too. So I have an essence and I go in and out of love with it. It's either an essence or an escape. It's literally <laughs> the exact same shot, and it's whatever disc hasn't failed me recently. I don't carry both in the bag at the same time ever. I carry whatever one is feeling good at the time. Right now, it's an essence. And I carry an FD, and I carry that because I love the extra glide and the stability on it. Uh, it's a super good what? disc. What I, run of FD? The current C-line run, so the new original. C-line, okay. I... I fell in love with like a Night Strike 3. And when oh, I so realized what it would take to replace it, I went, <laughs> never again. And then I sold them because that was the best decision I could make at the time. Because everybody wanted them. I uh, I used mine and then I sold it for 75 bucks. It's a great win. <laughs> uh, I, I got I to experience it. it and then I got to get, uh, get some money back for it. So yeah. it was good. Fun story with the FD real quick, because I was playing a uh, national amateur tour event that I was I was helping run out in Fort Morgan this last weekend, and I was in a really pinched off spot. And if you're familiar with Fort Morgan, Pessimist specifically, and you're familiar with hole seven, it's 430 feet. It's a par three. It's the hardest par three on that entire course because there's rough on both sides and there's an obstruction getting to the pin. You have to throw the perfect ass shot to get to the pin at 430. Uh, second round was my, this is my fourth round of the weekend. I just played two at Sterling the previous day. One, I'm tired. So hole seven, I re- early release, I'm off in the woods on the left and I'm walking up and you have to go up and down. And most people would, they're in their heads. Oh, I throw a firebird. It goes up, it goes down. No, I remembered something Eagle said 
it might have been Simon on one of his vlogs. Like when I'm trying to make a tight turn, I throw something with more glide. That way, when it goes up and it stalls, it glides to the pin. Mm-hmm. So I took my FD and one of the guys in my card mentioned, because I was talking, I talk to myself when I play. Um, I had Taylor Swift going to my earbud and I was talking to myself. Stop. As I was playing. Yep. Stop. I, not even joking, man. I had the I know you're not joking. That's why I said list. stop. Yeah. You worked with me in the warehouse long enough. I was listening to the era set list in order because oh. it's awesome. And he heard Michael me mumbling to myself. So. I went heard me in Denver. I went in Denver. I wish I could have gone. Yeah, it was great. I didn't get to. I think I want to go to LA. I want to go to SoFi. Anyway, um, <laughs> I'm mumbling to myself. Uh-huh. I take it and I throw it up over. And I'm two feet from the pin. And That's this awesome. guy goes, what were you saying to yourself? I was like, oh, I remember that. It was like, I can't remember if it was Eagle or Simon. There's like, throw under stable if you're trying to make that tight finish. Because when it stalls, it'll just glide to the pin. And that FD did the job for me. Like I was, I had already written in that bogey was awesome. And I managed to save the par. Like I was super stoked. So nice. I love yeah, my FDs. Love uh, I love I love my C lines. I'm a huge fan of Ella Hansen's Showstopper and that's really a uh, S line. It's got a little more glide to it than the C lines. It's awesome. Yeah. Are they a little more stable than the stock S lines? Yes. I don't like the stock stuff. I think the stock S lines are because I had my C line for so long, they were the same disc to me. And I was like, I don't need it to be less stable when it, when I beat it in. So yeah. I never got love with the stock. I went with the, the showstopper and I love every minute of it. Plus man, ER is always fun. So um, I think the my- color glow C line FDs, the new color glow C line FDs are kind of perfect. They probably are. They're just too expensive to get my hands on, and I haven't called my Dismania friends. Been like, "Hey, help me, help me out." That's fair. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll help you out. Fair enough. My one of my long. This is the probably the third longest tenure disc in my bag is the Leo Piernan FD2, um, Color Glow Enema Made, Super Royal awesome. Rage One, right? Royal Rage One. Yep. Uh, Those things I'm, are immaculate. I'm a huge fan of flat top discs. They just feel better in my hand for release. I don't mm-hmm. like a lot of dome. So I always err towards flatter discs. Uh, like that's my love of the Verdict, the MD3. A lot Gold of X Pure. Gold X Pure's, they're all flat for the most part. Uh, the Dune is probably the domiest thing I throw and it has its purpose though. Um, but uh, it's super it's reliable. Shirt, so. Yep, that was intentional. Um, super <laughs> reliable. It's like, super beat-in firebird it goes 300 and it's just like done and i love every bit of it um then i carry a color glow firebird uh it's because it's the only disc i can sidearm i don't sidearm very well anymore uh i used to sidearm a wraith i used to be a primary sidearm player but at some point along the way i just lost it and the only disc i can sidearm is this firebird so that's why i have it in the bag for sidearm the sexton firebird no, um, it's just a, I, there's various Sexton runs I'm kind of fanned with, but this particular is a memorial uh, disc for uh, a longtime friend who passed from brain cancer right at the beginning of COVID. We never got to really give him a celebration of life. So about a year later, we did a special mm-hmm. run of disc with Innova's permission. Uh, it's kind of got an old school Innova stamp vibe to it. And it's my Jim Cannon Firebird. It's been in the bag ever since that day that I got it. Um, he was kind of a, he was such a big supporter of mine when I was starting to TD that I just was like, 
I may not throw a Firebird, but I need an overstable disc. And since then, it's a staple in my bag. And I've got one backup, and I hope I never need it because I know that Jim is like always right there with me, giving me the encouragement I need to throw that shot. And I throw some great shots yeah, with that disc. Cool. I throw some bad shots with that disc, but I can never throw that disc and not feel just cool with it. And it's a really good Firebird. That's awesome. And the closest Sexton I've been able to find to it is the April Fool Sexton, uh, which nice. is the most hilarious stamp I've ever had on a disc. And I made somebody sell me theirs uh, that they had extras of. And I said, I promise it'll go in the bag and it's in the bag. It's just in the bag when it's the right time. Like when I go to McCook, Nebraska, when it's 3000 feet, yeah. I need a little more stability. Cool. And those and high then, plane winds. Oh yeah. High plane winds for sure. Cause I won't throw my firebird in wind that, that, that specific firebird in wind, but the, uh, the April fools, I will. The last fairway I have, and this teeters, because I don't really know where fairways stop. I think speed nine, but this is a speed 10. And I talked about this earlier, and it's shout out to my sponsor to an extent. It's the era, and it's because of the glide. Um, I get all the distance of a lot of my distance drivers with better accuracy. Um, And I love it. Uh, I've had this the first one I ever bought is still in my bag to this day. I have a brand new one with my, my, my stamp on it. Uh, mine and John's stamp on it. I should say our hug face bros. Uh, I just, I, I love the consistency of it. It has its place in my bag. It gives me everything I need out of it. I, it's very reliable. And this one that I have beaten for a year and a half now is just per or year and three months now is perfect. So um huge fan of that for my fairways. And again, the, so is it, is it a forged? I, it's a forged area. Yeah, the composites are stupid over stable. Stupid over so beefy. I can't throw this forged. The, but these yeah. forged these forged ones are really nice. They're like a and, uh, like what you want an onyx to be. Yeah. The gray ones are really understable compared to the other ones, which I never understood colors and stability until I started working with trash pan and started working about different plastics and how things work. Yeah. I'm like, oh, it actually does matter, believe it or not. Yeah. The gray ones are super understable. The red ones are just a tick more stable. So I throw the red ones almost exclusively. The pink ones are almost composites. <laughs> like it's so yeah. crazy how the color matters. But um, I carry I carry two of those in the bag. It's the only fairway with two in my bag, and that's just because I want one that gives me that same distance with a little more dump, and one that'll give me that flatter, consistent throw. Yeah, nice. It, when you put that that disc in your bag a year and a half ago. Did it just fill a slot that was open or did it kind of kick out anything that was in there originally? It it filled a slot I didn't know I needed. I went from, I guess, speed eight is what an essence is to mm-hmm. a speed 13. Essence. Yeah, I think essence is eight, six, snake two, one. Yep. Um, and I went to speed 13 and... Things have changed a little bit. Uh, Firebird, I think, is a nine. I know FD2s from that run are a seven. Sevens. The Vanguard might rival the FD2 for me, but we'll see. Um, okay. Off the bat, it's got some similarities I was looking for nice. that I cool. can't accomplish with what I have. But um, but yeah, it, it filled a slot I didn't know I needed, so I could stop powering down on my distance drivers, my, my higher uh, speeds, and I could throw more power into that shot and i would get that full shot yeah that 350 to 400 that i want 
on a little more consistency than I had before. Um, I played Farringer a fair bit working for the parks department and running the league out there. And it filled gaps on holes, like hole 18, like depending on how tired I am, depends yeah. on the disc I'm throwing. But if I feel good <laughs> throwing on it because the other discs are going too far and the air is going perfectly to that pin on that yeah. 380 foot shot, which is what I need. And if you go too far, there's that Creek behind and then you're OB. Yeah. Yeah. If you believe in the Creek rules on that hole, but I ignore those. So. Oh, uh, sorry. I thought, I thought I was talking to the uh, guy who runs oh, tags. There's there. Far- there's that. Farringer rules. And then there's Kyle rules, which if you play my league, <laughs> you know that hole 18, I don't believe in the ditch. It's literally part of my statement. Uh, hole 18, ditch and beyond is not OB because it's a really dumb ditch that isn't clearly defined. And <laughs> yeah, it's like one true. foot wide. So it's my belief on that that's ditch, fair. but that's, it's, I can't even call that's it a fair. ditch. They want me to call it a creek. It's not a creek. Like they get offended. Yeah, it's, a dry, a is it, it's a dry creek ditch bed. I've seen water in it once. It's, it's, it's a rut. No, I, no. Yeah. <laughs> what are you guys going to do when, a, after tonight? What's that whole, is it like, uh, I think it's on the back nine. I think it's 10. That's like almost a foot from the, the creek. The now. hole. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, like yeah. maybe what, a foot. What are you guys gonna What hole. are you guys gonna do when it starts eroding and like topples up? Topples I'm gonna move over. it twenty feet to the left. Yeah. Straight straight That's shot. All I'm gonna do. Yeah. I'm just gonna make it a straight which shot. Which is what which is what everybody else already wants. But uh of course this is the left hand backhand podcast because Michael and we, I li- both we like the holes. So we love that nice easy lefty putter shot right honestly there. there's so few of them on the course that i'll let you guys have that one as long as i can thank you thank that's you. all lefties get <laughs> I, is just we, one uh, hole you got 10 and 11 yeah, we get like one maybe two. i know we, we, we i mean we do. yeah we, we do uh, 11, 11 is still pretty righty friendly but 10 is not so yeah. but yeah they're yeah. just like it's good and it's it's hard for us lefties it's like here's your two or three holes you better get a birdie or you're not gaining strokes on anybody because they're pretty yeah. straightforward backhand turnover, easy pars. It's like, great. You, thanks. you guys have it the absolute hardest in Colorado. And yeah, it, even though it, they're wide open holes for the most part. Yeah. But they're, they, the lines all tailor to a right hand backhand. Like yeah. it's clear everybody who's designed a course in Colorado is like, oh, I can throw that line and they do it. Like, <laughs> and then it but if it's lefty friendly, it's a right hand sidearm, which is not a natural lefty throw. It's just, it's kind of a boring lefty hole throw, to be honest. Like John yeah. Houck designs are the only course design I've, I've personally played and some Eric McCabe's as well that are really designed with the left-hand player in mind with a left-hand route and, and john Houck and, and mckay but i've only got a handful of other designers in there so it's hard to say that yeah. those are exclusively the only left yeah. hand you know designers. but it's a hard hole design and i i struggle to think about it uh because my brain just doesn't work that way and obviously you guys are broken so you think that <laughs> yeah we 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 were born the wrong way coming out the womb. So, you know, that's, that's there's probably scientific evidence of this. So, yeah. Uh, quick, quick side note on course designers. Uh, I was watching an, a Simon vlog recently at the preserve where he and uh, James Conrad were doing a proxy versus uh, envy challenge against oh. each other. And yeah, it was actually pretty fun to watch. Uh, but he was talking about, he's like, oh, yeah, you can tell this is a Kale LaVisca design course 
and Straight it's because righties. it's a right hand turnover. It's, it's a right hand hyzer flip to yep. slight turn. And yep. It's not a full turnover. Yep. It's a hyzer flip to slight turn. And I'm like, that's a lefty's worst dream. Like yep. you, because a lefty would have to hyzer flip to straight to fade. Yep. Wait, there's, like, no, that's, there's, there's not that's many discs that do that. Shot. No. Yes. Kale is a very specific like, shot. I could get the. Yeah, and so like I thought it was hilarious that like there were multiple holes that were that exact yeah. shot, and in my mind I'm thinking, well, frick, I just have to go forehand on that and let something turn all the way to the right and then fade out or something like that, that's, or that's try to have. fit like like I could throw the dune on enough hyzer and get it to slow flip up and kind of to the right, but yeah, most likely or fade fade out to the right. But anyway, I got sorry, what you're that, was a, that was a side note that I thought was funny and like. That's a, a kale design court is the back, the right hand, backhand, late hyzer, late turn. He loves like, that shot. Pretty funny. It's, it's, I'm, when he throws it though, it's a thing of beauty. It's, it's beautiful. He's Dr. Smooth for a reason, right? Yeah, it's a beautiful shot. It's just not practical. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Um, okay. So we, we touched on the era. We kind of got sidetracked, but I thought that was a fun conversation. Uh, and you've already talked about your ballista non-pros. Correct. What do you call those? Ballista ams? Then? I call them ballista just to not insult myself. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, that's fair. Um, what else you got in that, in that uh, distance story? Distance final, driver category. The final two discs that are not a ballista is I added the Grace and I carry a DD3. Uh, new S-Line DD3 to be specific. Yeah. Um, and, and you crushed that disc from what rumors have said. Which one? The S-Line DD3. Oh, man, I love that disc. Dude, I throw that disc so well. I've never had a disc that <laughs> has just, like, felt so effortless in wind. And the kicker is, so I played with this kid this weekend, and, like, I claim to have brought up, like, Lucas. Like, he wouldn't be me without me harassing him and giving him crap. And I got some other kids in there, but... This kid, his name is Leonard uh, Leo Miller. He's he's uh, his dad and I were competitors over time, and now he's good, like really good. And I hate it. He's like, oh yeah, I use this just for my rollers. I was like, I throw that in the wind, like a headwind. <laughs> and I'm like, you use it for a roller and a tailwind, that hurts. Like that's yeah. just me getting old. But I love the D3. It feels good in the hand. I've always struggled with the overstable uh, distance driver in my slot. I've thrown Raiders. I've thrown Destroyers. I've I've thrown. I've thrown everything because I just, I struggle with the disc. Uh, so this one's been sitting in my bag for a while now. Um, I love the S-Line D3. I carry a Cloudbreaker, which is an Innova made, a uh, Cloudbreaker 2 specifically, uh, Innova made mm. Cloudbreaker, uh, DD3 uh, to be really overstable for those really windy days, but it doesn't get much use right now. And then the Grace, I saw uh, now one-time world champion, uh, Hank Kerwin in the MP55 division. Mm throwing it and I went man that's really good uh, I want to do that and I bought one and I'm like hey I actually really enjoy it it's uh the stability it it's an 11 speed and it gives me the flip up that my ballista does and it gives me a harder fade at the end uh, I don't have to worry so much about the turnover aspect of it um but it flies straighter longer uh than the d3 would you say does, it's so like to... comparable to your c-line fd then maybe uh maybe uh, it get a longer flight with a little more power and torque into it, uh, so I'm able to give it a little bit more more juice. But yeah, but it's, it's it, like this distance driver version yeah. of the FD for you, or no? yeah, probably, 
I think I would, if I took an equatable hole, like if I took the FD and threw it at 300 feet and I took the grease and tried to throw it at 400 feet, I'd end up with a similar result as far as my arm speed goes. Um, the grace to me reminds me a lot of when I threw sidearm, uh, and I threw some backhands as a wraith. Um, and specifically cause race differ all over the freaking place. It was like an 11 time wraith because that's the only run of wraith I ever really liked, uh, because when I lost both those wraiths, I tried to buy new ones and Ken Climo became a 12 time at that point, And then I couldn't throw them because they were so overstable. Um, so I, I just like to have those three slots, but I don't, it's only this in my bag that I have backups on because they're the disc you're most likely to lose being a distance driver. Cause you're throwing them so yeah. far in comparison to the others. Uh, but the thing is, is I use them probably the least, but I have two of all of those in the bag at any given time, because if I lost one, I'd be in trouble um yeah totally. and the chance of me losing two in a round in colorado are pretty minimal unless i was like at you know maybe ledgestone or something at eureka where i could lose a couple in the water but um i, yeah. I carry two of all those in the bag at least the ballista i carry three of because i have uh opto x chameleon i think is the plastic type it has just more glide uh is the only difference on it. it's a little more domey not as flat top as those 2019s i was referring to earlier so nice gotcha. yeah beautiful that's you my bag. Art right there yeah you got the 11 12 and 13 speed so you you definitely i think you hit you've hit almost all the numbers you had a and nine, 10, and yeah, nine yeah and 10, eight nine. and seven you don't I have think the six. six is the only number i don't touch because and you used is to it just as a four or five justice, justice is a is five five but you have your heart okay, so then raise a clause your four Four. I go from three up because I think the even pure is a three PD... and the P2 is a two. Is it a two? Two, it three, is. one? Oh, two. Okay, so then I'll just buy a Berg and everything will be fine. Yeah, I'll hit that one slot. And, and, the, and a zombie. Get a zombie randomly just for fun. Oh, I could. <laughs> <laughs> or a Crave. That's a six and a half. I think that counts. Or, oh, or I, I don't throw gyro technology. You don't believe in gyro technology? I don't throw. I'm. Oh, I'm, absolutely not. It's weird that you. Is it? Is it hand feel or just like just how it is? Yes, it's a hundred percent hand feel. I cannot stand the feel. I, because it's, I which is a little strange. They're all flat. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah, they're all flat. How do you not like those? But they they do feel. I don't know. It, it, yeah. it takes some getting used to. It's the rim. Yeah, I just can't do the rim. They're I sharp. Can't do that second plastic. It's they're like, sharp. I don't know. It's just. It's just something about the hand feel to me. Everything's about hand feel. My hand has to be as dry as possible through the disc. I carry a climbing chalk bag to like just make sure my hand is the driest <laughs> thing you've ever seen in your life. As soon as yeah. there's moisture in the uh, air, I'm screwed. Yeah. Who's that? Who's that girl that Jesse did some chalk bags with? Is and it she Sarah? did some custom S- trash panel ones. Sarah. Wall- you talking about Sarah from uh, Chump Chalk? Yes. Sarah Wallagorski from Chump yeah. Chalk. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I've got yeah. a trash panda chalk bag, and that thing's the yeah. best chalk bag I've ever used. Uh, I it's it's all about the course. So I use uh, I use whale sack for the whale sack gets me by most of Colorado because we're in arid desert climate. It's dry. Yeah, Hope. the chum chalk got me by on some of the like the park courses because it's just a little more chalky. But like this last weekend, it was humid in Fort Morgan and Sterling. I needed my climbing chalk like crazy. <laughs> It was so humid. It was insane. I had to use just the most chalky thing I could buy. 
Yeah. I, I crazy. Forgot to bring my my chump chalk. So you said it's called. Yeah, chump chalk. Yeah, chump chalk is the official name I, for Cirrus. I left it in my other bag when I went to USAM, and I oh. desperately needed it in Michigan. It was it was a little rough, but it was hot. Got to keep them hands the way you want them, man. Yeah. It, it's weird too because I dry my hands and then I lick my fingertips. That's insane. You're just broken. You're broken from lefty arm. No, he just likes the taste. I just He's like, like mm, my tasty. hand. My <laughs> get that flavor. Uh, chalk I don't going. know what it is. It's like it's like I I need my my hand my palms and my my fingers dry, but then I like to have a little bit of that. Just like I want to feel the plastic. And I don't like any dust on my disc either. So I like wipe the dust off. It's you, you got to find the things that work, you know, what, what a world you live in, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, enough of uh, the world I live in. Kyle, we cannot thank you enough for coming on the pod. This has been a blast talking through your bag, talk, learn about being a TD. I think Michael said he's ready to go run his next B tier. Right, Mike? Yeah. The snack, the snack daddy open coming coming to yeah, southern orange good. county love it it's to, to your new 27 hole course right yeah yeah we got we got the course now so gotta christian it somehow yeah yeah sounds good to me um kyle any parting thoughts any last words you want to impart to us and any plugs you want to shout out um as far as parting wisdom, thank you for having me. Uh, I love talking, if that wasn't that's clear. Not, that's not wisdom. I love talking disc golf. So uh, thank you guys so much for having me. But uh, um, I'm happy to help anybody. Like I love talking tournaments. I love talking disc golf. I love my life revolves around this entire sport um, outside of my family and kids and, and everything. But so I'm happy to be here for anybody. So please feel free to reach out, find me. Instagram, uh, Facebook, whatever it is, email. You, if you played at an NADGT event, you probably have it in there somewhere. Uh, but uh, as far as plugs go, I have to thank the people that support me. Uh, Finish Line Disc for sure. Uh, Moss Disc Golf, clothing company based out of Colorado. Makes awesome screen prints, gear, everything. Keeps me looking fly. Pyrohyzer Mini is out of Colorado Springs. And uh, Dragon Wagon um, has... Uh, my cart uh, maker, they make custom carts. They're awesome. And my disc supplier, when all said and done, is Disc Revolution, also based out of Colorado Springs. They've been a huge supporter of me since since they came to be in 2020 and uh, couldn't do without any of these people trying to make my life just that much easier and supporting the journey that I am on to help provide all of you awesome disc golf in Colorado. So thank you to them. Beautiful. Love it. We appreciate all the hard work you do and uh, for providing the amateurs in Colorado the uh, the utmost care and respect towards our level of game. And um, we appreciate it. So thank you for bring, everything. Bringing professionalism to the amateur game, baby. Let's go. Yeah. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Perfect. All right. Lefties out. See you.